every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Anna Kostrin, CMO of New Rocket. Anna brings more than 20 years of marketing experience to New Rocket. With expertise in demand generation, brand building, experiential marketing, and sales engagement. In this episode, Anna shares her insights on activating an emotional connection with your customer, why workflow is important for your business, and why it's important to have complete empathy for the customer experience. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals of buying intent and having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Anna Kostrin, CMO of New Rocket, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today I'm joined by a special guest. Anna, how are you? I am so well. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Very excited to have you on the show. So we're going to talk about all of the cool things going on at New Rocket and DemandGen and your background and everything in between. So starting off, what was your first job in DemandGen? Ah, first job in DemandGen. And I've told this story many times. My first job in tech was actually removing staples from purchase orders at Dell. That was during my last year of college, and it was my first foray into tech and what led me to really know that that's where I wanted to be. In terms of demand gen, I was at Dell for a very long time, and I would say one of the most challenging and first roles I had in demand gen was kind of down in the bowels of demand gen. I ran a Marcom ops team, and if you don't know what that means, it is we are the plumbing behind the email templates and all of the technology that's used to go and market to folks. And so really getting to understand the technology stack and how all that works together. And it was really difficult because you're not actually talking to customers to understand what they're looking for, but you're building all these inner workings. And so it really gave me a good baseline for what works and what doesn't. I love that. And flash forward to today, tell us a little bit about your role at New Rocket. I would love to. So I'm the chief marketing officer at New Rocket, and New Rocket is the largest pure play service now partner. And what that means is we do all of the implementations of ServiceNow workflows. And if it's okay, I'll give a very short background on ServiceNow. ServiceNow sells a beautiful SaaS platform where companies can build digital workflows. And if you don't know what a workflow is, there's a workflow behind literally everything we do, whether we're talking about business or consumer activities. So for example, if you work for a big company and you need to procure a new computer for your work system, there's a workflow behind that. You have to put in that order. It goes to someone in IT. That computer has to be requisitioned and, and sent to you. That's a workflow. There's also many customer service workflows, like when you buy something from Amazon and have to return it. And all of these different types of workflows revolve around a customer or an employee experience. 
And I like to think of this in even bigger terms because I think anything revolves around a great experience. And I'm sure you've had a bad customer service experience. That is the result of a badly implemented workflow or a workflow that's broken. So ServiceNow sells this beautiful SaaS platform, and we, as their integration partner, we go and help architect these workflows to form a beautiful system so that companies can operate holistically and unite people, process, and technology so that people have great experiences with their workflows. There's nothing that doesn't exist without a workflow. I mean, there's people, process, technology behind everything. And in getting ready for this discussion today, I started thinking about an actual orchestra. So when you have musicians sitting around and they're playing their instruments and they're beautiful and this music is coming together in this amazing moving way, you need people. You have to have those people playing the instruments. You've got to have the process. So they've learned the music. They've done the auditions. They know their first chair. They know how to read the music. And then you have to have the technology. And I don't think we think about technology in this way, but it's not just the sound equipment or the things that are required to hear the music. There's also, think about the pandemic year. Think about the technology we needed to just keep things like orchestras together, the communication that it took to do rehearsals and continue to do this practice and make things move forward. And I think about that like a symphony. When a workflow works, it comes together in this beautifully architected way that helps people and makes people happy. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? This is where we can go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. Ooh, I love that. All right. Cool. First off, you said a little bit about what New Rocket does, but who are your customers? Mm -hmm. Who is the buying committee? Who are the people signing the dotted line? Definitely. So our customers, we're focused on some specific industries, but our customers are business customers, most likely service providers. Let's see, I'll use a few examples. There is a large streaming service that is one of our customers. And they have to be able to provide a wonderful streaming experience to anyone that wants to log in and watch their favorite show. And so we have to make sure that not only the technology works, but that they're able to access that and get the entertainment that they want. Our customers have either invested in the ServiceNow platform or they haven't. They're, they may be using a competitor, but really where I think our value comes in is any customer that has invested in the ServiceNow platform and really isn't seeing the value of it. So one of the things we hear a lot about is how IT processes aren't adopted. New technology, like a big corporation can implement new technology and no one uses it. Hey, there's a great new expense report system. Everybody's going to be excited and use it. Nobody does and it fails. And it's because we've failed to explain or help folks understand how it benefits them or make them want to use it. That's really our customer base. We're targeting folks that are already using ServiceNow, but maybe not seeing the value of it, or customers that are looking for a way to really unite their processes across their company. Yeah, and so what are the different personas that are in that buying committee? Because it seems like there's a bunch of different folks that might potentially be a stakeholder in this. 100%. We have practice areas that are in customer service management, in HR, in IT, and when you think about our buyers, the folks that are signing the bottom line, the folks that are influencing whether or not they want to do something like this, it really has to do with the processes and the things they're trying to solve. So for example, like we have practice leads in each, in each of those areas 
give you a, a concrete example. Our HR practice lead used to lead HR at a really big company. So she's been in the trenches. She knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of a bad HR process. And now she is a master of going and helping customers of ServiceNow and customers that just want to improve their HR workflows to be able to do that. And so it depends on the solution that you're looking for. Now, since we have so many areas of expertise across those workflows, as well as security and portal experience, so we can design the front end so you have a beautiful portal to work with, we're really going higher up in, in, in the company. I mean, we're targeting the CIOs. We're targeting the CMOs who want to have a great experience for their customers. We're targeting, depending on the level of solution that people are looking for, it's all over the place. And I'm curious because you support customers of service now, how does that how does that affect your marketing? 100%. It affects it in a huge way. So ServiceNow is our one and only partner. We don't form relationships with other partners outside of ServiceNow except for in alliances with other businesses to implement ServiceNow. And so it's really important to us that ServiceNow is happy with our work. We spend a lot of time marketing with ServiceNow and being very specific about what we're good at. How can you hit a home run with New Rocket and ServiceNow? Actually, in our value proposition, it's with ServiceNow. It's not on ServiceNow or using ServiceNow. We go to market with ServiceNow. So our partnership is very, very key. Any kind of challenges with that sort of a thing? Because I know that being a partner, being a channel, or being those sort of things have its ups and can have its downs as well. 100%. Having one partner means that you've got to really stay in lockstep, both with their strategy, their communication, with their overall goals. I've seen that kind of go off the rails here and there. And it's only when communication has broken down. It's only when we aren't super aligned on what ServiceNow wants to go and achieve in the market. And it's been a really great partnership thus far. And so my company came together because it was actually an idea from an investment firm in San Francisco out in your neck of the woods called Griffin Investors. The market's consolidating very quickly. And they saw this opportunity to take these six world-class ServiceNow service providers and form them into one company. And it's amazing because all of our areas of expertise are different. So we acquired a company that's an expert in security, SecOps, and risk and resilience. We acquired a company that's amazing in portal and UX, UI. Then we have these companies that are expert in implementing workflows and designing workflows and developing workflows. Put those all together and you've got this really holistic, amazing partner. And ServiceNow is really finding a lot of value in that. I got a text the other day that there was an all hands going on at ServiceNow and they mentioned us more than any other partner. So that was a really great reason to celebrate at our company. Love that. I'm curious, how do you structure your marketing work? Right now, we are doing a lot of different things to see what works the best. So as a new company, as a small but growing very quickly company, we're not sure what will work the best and connect with customers in the best way. My personal experience, you can do all of the email marketing, you can do all the events, you can do all of the things, all of the various marketing tactics that everybody knows how to do. But if you're not emotionally connecting with your prospects and customers in a way that's meaningful to them, you're not getting anywhere and you're not doing anything different than anybody else. And I use a, give you an example of that. I hate the term awareness. Like when we talk about brand, the term awareness always gets thrown away. We create awareness. I'm aware of a lot of things, but I don't care about them. Like the only, I, I've got to be able to care about something before that awareness turns into something that's really a connector. 
And so one of the things that we spend a lot of time talking about at New Rocket is experience. We've got some really good examples of how experience wraps everything we do. And when you're talking about technology and you say the word experience, people mostly jump to user interface, UX, UI, portal, digital. So people think about UX and UI in terms of experience, but we totally believe that experience wraps everything. So we talked in the beginning about workflows and how those are important, not only in business, but think about something that you did personally. What was something that you did, had a great experience with recently? I just had a really bad digital one earlier today, but we just have a new nanny the first time. And I was signing up on this nanny portal and I completed my side of the onboarding and it didn't have like a link to like send to the nanny for her to fill out her part of the onboarding. Mm -hmm. It just like I had to do it. And so I'm sitting there like handing my phone like here, could you put in all of your PII and like all this weird stuff. It was so (laughs) bizarre. I like hadn't. (laughs) done that in like so long. And I was like, that's a pretty tough, pretty tough one there. That's no good. That's, that's a bad people process and experience experience. I mean, that's a terrible failure. I was going to use one that's more personal. And this is one that is very relevant to me right now because I have an event coming up this weekend. That's going to be, I'm not exaggerating when I say life changing for me. So I think about all of these things that are experiences and how process and people and technology have to come together for these wonderful things to be architected and to happen. Back in 2019, through 23andMe, the Ancestry service, I found out that I have a DNA dad and four stepbrothers that I am going to be meeting this weekend for the very first time. Yeah. That came about through a conversation with my mother when I was in first year of college and sitting down at her with the table. And it wasn't anything scandalous. We were sitting down at the table, eating lunch and looking at pictures. And I said, it's really funny that I look so much like you, but nothing like dad. And she said, well, that's because he's not your real dad. Well, thank you. And I'll never look at grilled cheese sandwiches the same way. (laughs) I think of that every time I eat them. But that sent me on a journey. And I started making phone calls. And and again, not scandalous. It was because she and my father had fertility troubles and there was a donor. And this was back in 1974. So now you know how old I am. But there wasn't a lot of, of data until the internet started becoming something that was useful. And then fast forward to 2016, when 23andMe became something that people are doing genetic testing through the mail. And that's insane. Who's heard of that? But thanks to that technology, and then the people processes behind that, the genetic testing that happened at 23andMe, the app on my phone, when I was sitting in a conference room getting ready to do a meeting and the little bing came up from 23andMe and it says, you have new DNA relatives. And I was like, oh, it's probably third, fourth cousins. It always is. And I clicked on it and I found my DNA dad. And <laughs> then 2020 happened. And as we all know, no one got to travel and things kind of came to a halt. But through that period of time, I started connecting with them and talking with them. And this weekend, I am going to a family wedding, meet all of them for the first time. And man, experience, process, technology, people coming together in a beautiful way. That is a symphony. A symphony indeed. What a story. Wow. That's that's remarkable. That's pretty rad. Mazel tov. I always talk about how marketing is meant to be remarkable, which means you actually have to talk about it to somebody else or spur conversation. What we want is like people remarking about our products and and services or how it made them feel or whatever it is. And boy, what an incredible story. You know, and I think, I think it's a good kind of reminder too, that so often 
we don't know the stories that come from our customers. And I bet 23andMe, Ancestry.com, all those sort of places are like loving those type of things and they probably can't get enough of them. Mm -hmm, 100%. And you asked the question a few minutes ago about the things that work. I think there's a lot of talk and I read articles all the time about great content marketing and connecting with our customers, but I think we do it on a very high level. I think we need to get down into the particulars and really understand their feelings and how these solutions are affecting them, not only in a business perspective, but personally as well. I know that when these solutions can be implemented in the right way, we're not only creating great experiences for employees at work, we're creating more time for them to spend with their families. We're creating more time for them to do things that are cool, like innovate new products and services. And what's more valuable than that for a business? I mean, we hire people for their brains, not so that they can spend all day doing these arduous processes that take forever. Let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help <laughs> you win. What are your three channels right. or tactics that are uncuttable budget items? Uncuttable. Well, I have worked at a very, very large company and then kind of a medium-sized company and a very small company. And I never, ever get upset when the CFO comes to me and says, oh, we got to cut your budget. There are so many things and so many pivots that we can make to do great marketing, no matter what the budget is. The first one I said was absolutely connecting, and it's putting our prospects and customers into the shoes of the people that are really experiencing these solutions. And it's telling the stories in a really, really amazing way that helps get that connection. Um, this answer would have been different six months ago or a year ago. But now that people are finally starting to get back together, right now, the one uncuttable thing in my budget is events. I want to get out there. I want to see people face-to-face -face and shake their hand. We're getting ready to, to be a, a sponsor of ServiceNow's flagship events called Knowledge. Those are coming up in the next few weeks. And I think all of us are so excited. The very best marketing tool we have is our people, our employees. And if I have done my job and done it well, then all of our employees, now we have over 500, can articulate the story of New Rocket and why it matters and articulate this experience story as it relates to our clients and their, their clients and employees. If we are successful in connecting with people like that, especially in person, those words, that communication is, is the very best marketing we can do. Having our people talk about us in person and on social, mostly in person right now. So yes, not cutting the event spend right now, absolutely critical. The other thing I think is an uncuttable part is having a great web presence, especially during the last couple of years. And you know, even beyond that, this is where people go. People aren't looking for web pages that are talking about this is how great we are, this is how this is what we do. They're looking for things that make them feel a certain way. And if we can have our own clients talking about us on our website, wonderful. Great case studies, great examples of where we have helped our customers. So the website is really important. And then driving traffic to that site through content syndication or through various outreach. I, I love to use all of our executive leadership team and our practice leads, all of our smart people within our company for thought leadership. 
again, we hire people because of their brains. We want them speaking and writing and talking about the things they're passionate about because that's what gets people in, just connected and wanting to talk to your company. It's a great point. And, and I love how you folded those two things together because I think so often the strategy for an event is about getting people together, specifically getting your salespeople out mm-hmm. to talk to other people. But when you do have a ton of people in your company, making sure that they're on message is definitely not always the biggest priority to people who are go to the marketing team or to maybe the marketing team can be on message, but other employees, or if, you, if you're selling to engineers, your engineers, or if you're selling to IT, you're selling to HR, your HR people that are there, like having those people beyond message for what you need to evangelize during that period of time about new products and services or something that's really cool. Have you heard this one customer story? We want every single person in this entire conference to know that we just partnered with blank and we increase them 4x. Like if every Mm -hmm. single person comes out of this knowing that this new customer signed with us and we drove results, those are very tactical outcomes. I'm curious, like, how do you think about goals going into an event? That is a question that is asked of me a lot. I'm sure you know this. It's always hard, depending on the kind of event, it's always hard to say what's going to be our return on investment from this event. And it really depends on the quality and the kind of conversations that are being had. It depends on the speaking sessions and how well we engage folks that want to talk to us after the fact. But I think from a marketing perspective, it's really capturing that information of the folks that are interested in us and continuing those conversations. Like we will be talking to as many prospective clients and clients existing at knowledge to say, you know what, New Rocket's a new company now. We've got expanded capabilities and relating these things to them through stories of other clients that have had great success with New Rocket. And really taking that back and giving it back to our sellers and our architects to say, let's have a more meaningful conversation with this client and see what we can do for them. Measuring ROI is something that is absolutely necessary. And when you talk about uncuttable budget items, if you don't have an answer for how are you going to measure the success of this event or this tactic or this campaign, you're in trouble. I go into everything with here's how first slide, here's how we're going to measure success on this particular program. And then it gives me a great framework for coming back and reporting results after the fact. Got any examples or or any things that you've done from an events perspective that was maybe something that you're like, hey, we want to go do this and it worked really well? Yes, as a matter of fact. And I had my doubts about it. It's It may sound horrible, but it worked out really, really well. We've I, I used actually used to run global events at Dell for a period of time, and it gave me a really good bird's eye view about the whole spectrum of different things that can be done. I mean, we did huge industry events, then we did small customer events and everything in between. In my last role in my last company, one of the things that I put together was our customer advisory board. And it was meant to be a group of very senior CIOs, CEOs that would come together and really help us steer the ship. Like we wanted their input to tell us, how do we more effectively grow this company to better meet your needs? And our CEO at the time was like, we want it to be intense. We want it to be like two days of 500 slides and everybody around this boardroom table. And I'm like, that sounds absolutely terrible. Nobody's going to want to do that. And in the end, it was two days and it was lots of slides, but instead of having us talk, we let our customers talk. 
And they all presented, they presented things that we had helped them with, but more importantly, they talked about things they didn't like about us that we could then go and work on and fix. And it was my job to come back to that group and say, based on all of these things that you told us from a high level about how we can make this company more successful, we are implementing this, this, and this. And they all raised their hand to help us. We had more customer participation in helping us do big things. These people aren't getting paid to do this. They're doing it because they care about the company enough and they work with us enough that they want us to succeed. So I thought that was a really amazing example of a reciprocal relationship that made all the ships rise. I mean, it was really incredible. I could do an entire episode on customer advisory boards. I think it's like one of the most underutilized, impactful things and being part of it. It's a win-win-win all around. It's networking, it's memorable, it provides feedback to your product teams. It gives you ideas for marketing. It helps with sales. It is such a powerful thing. Yeah, that's cool. It really is. And when it's done right, I think in the very beginning, when we started reaching out to our best customers to get them involved, I think there's a lot of companies asking for, hey, come be on our client advisory board or things like that. They have to be done well and they have to be done with the customer first and complete empathy for the customer experience, again, with the word experience, but it had to be about what were our customers going to get out of this. And we made sure to show them immediate results, immediate fruits of their labor. Like they put in this time and here's what they got. And it was, it was a great experience. I highly would highly love to do that again here. We will eventually. Yeah, right. On the on the docket. You mentioned web presence. How do you view your website? Mm-hmm. It's got work to be done. Our website is very basic right now. And that is, again, I mean, I, I mentioned a little bit ago, in January, we relaunched our company as New Rocket. So prior to that, we were six separate companies, all smaller companies that were brought together. And we have an amazing chief creative officer who was actually the founder of the original New Rocket. And when we came together in January, we did a lot of pre-work coming up to that date to say, what are we going to name our new company? What's it going to be? And there was a lot of passion, a lot of excitement around the name New Rocket, both internally and with our customers. There's so much we can do with that. And it seems like it's an inspirational name. It's something, an aspirational name and something that people really clung on to. And so when we came together in January, we had a mandate of, we have to have a website. There has to be one. We have to sunset all of the other ones in a very short span of time. And so our chief creative officer, again, who's incredible, did all of this work. And we use Webflow platform, which is fantastic. If you've ever done yep, anything on we Webflow, do as well. it's great. Very Caspian's in- website's built on Webflow. And yeah. No, very intuitive. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, great platform. Anyway, we were able to architect a website that really highlights our core solution areas and some of our great customer stories. At the same time, it doesn't click down into the big buckets of the things that we do. So for example, if you're looking at the IT solutions tab, it doesn't have IT asset management. It doesn't have some of the the big solutions that we offer. And that's really, really important because we want to lean on SEO. We want to make sure that we're coming up when people are searching for us. So we've got a lot of work to do there. We've got a good foundation. And that's what I've told folks at our company over and over. We've laid a solid foundation. Like the foundation of the house is there. Now we just have to put up some more walls and make it a mansion. I love it. What a fun project to be part of. Turning six brands into one. And you're going to have quite the experience a year from now looking back at the past two. It's going to be pretty crazy. (sighs) 
It is, I, I'm going to take a nap at that point. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> it's been a while. No, but it's been manic. It's crazy. And I never know from day to day what I'm going to be doing that day because it's something different every day. Blocking and tackling, for lack of a better term. But it's so much fun and it's so challenging. We've got such an amazing opportunity in front of us. And I'm just really excited for the future of this company. I think we're going to just grow by leaps and bounds. What about your most cuttable budget item or maybe something that you're not going to be <laughs> investing in perhaps going forward as much? Most cuttable. So since we are focused primarily on generating leads with ServiceNow, I think it would be cold outreach. I think that we're going to be doing much less cold outreach to various wish list prospects and focusing much more on organic growth, on looking at, I mean, think about the customer and prospect lists that came in with each of these individual companies. For example, if you were a security risk and resilience customer from one of the legacy companies, you don't know that New Rocket now can help design customer service workflows and HR workflows and build you a beautiful portal. So that cross-sell and organic growth is going to be a huge focus for us in the near term and probably in the next year. So things cold outreach, doing events with pure prospecting, I think that's going to go to the wayside for a minute. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, (laughs) your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust up in your career? Oh my gosh. Dust up. I refer to dust ups as recognizing a closed door when you see one. So, and I'm thankful for those closed doors. So I have had some memorable dust ups. One, now I can't name any names here or say where I was, but we were doing a huge consulting project with an external, a huge external consulting firm. And I was responsible for the marketing portion of this consulting piece. And I was in a boardroom with very, very high level executives. And there had been a slide put into my deck that I was unaware of. And it turned out it was an org chart and my name was not on it. It was my organization and I wasn't on it. And I was looking at the faces of everyone in the room. And one of them just turned white. And I remember him saying, we weren't going to put this slide in the deck, which caused me to turn around and see my team without me on it. And so I just very calmly turned around, finished presenting the rest of the slides, walked out of the boardroom and started calling my network and saying, you know what? I am really interested in new opportunities. Oh my gosh. So understanding closed doors is something that I think, especially people that are new in their career, it really sucks to come across a closed door, like layoffs or reorganizations where your jobs are getting eliminated or changes within your company, strategic direction change where you're going to have to pivot and do something completely different. If you can get to the point where you view those things, those closed doors as an opportunity to go knock on another door, because chances are that door, you didn't want to go through there in the first place. You don't want that. Totally. That was a favor. So go and knock on the next one. And I guarantee you're going to find something better than you had before. So closed doors are a gift. I'm curious, do you have a favorite campaign that you've had over the years? 
favorite campaign. Oh my goodness. There was a campaign that we did at Dell many years ago. We actually, we won some kind of a content marketing award for it, but it was when the conversation about the future ready workforce was really just kind of coming into fruition. And had we spent like a month locked in a conference room talking about the messaging behind this campaign and what we were going to do. And Dell was really one of the first and foremost out of the gate on getting your workforce future ready. So the mobile workforce, work from anywhere. And I remember when that, this was a long time ago, but it was a really new idea. And the future ready workforce campaign was something that was kind of groundbreaking in the industry at the time, really sharing that idea that you can work from anywhere. You can be productive from anywhere. You can do anything you need to that you're, you've got in your home office right here. You can do it from Starbucks if you need to. And that was the whole foundation from for the campaign. And it was highly successful. We did really well with that. There was another campaign that I, I wanted to mention. And I can't remember now exactly when this was, but we left it open. And it was, instead of saying, here's what we do, it was leaving it open for the customer to fill in the blank. So we can help you with this or be ready with this. And it led to a lot of really good and unique banner ads, ebooks, things like that. It's just, it wasn't something common that you'd always see. It was more of a question and it led to a lot of clicks. One thing I will mention is we did a really unsuccessful campaign one time, a long time ago. This is when I was first working at Dell and we sent out cheese wheels to a whole bunch of customers as a door opener. This didn't work. And I don't know why. <laughs> Getting a giant block of cheese from a stranger. I mean, that should be something that makes you incredibly happy. It didn't. We need to have, (laughs) this is crazy. We need to have like a demand gen visionaries audience poll of like, would you or would you not accept a giant wheel of cheese? I feel like that's like, (laughs) don't be deterred by this. I don't think that I'm staunchly against us. No, I'm very (laughs) fortunate. I'm pro cheese. But I am pro cheese also. But I'm I'm saying <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it was just it was too big or maybe unsolicited cheese is frowned upon. I don't know. I don't know. It was not successful. Uh, it's gonna be a new Caspian podcast. Unsolicited cheese. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm I'm for the campaign. I think that even though it didn't go well, I appreciate the audacity and the moxie. What kind of cheese was it? Uh, it had it had a big wax thing on it. I can't even remember. Yeah, I guess this was like in the late nineties. I guess well, depending. Yeah, I well now they have like cheese the month club and all sorts of crazy stuff. My thing is always that it's just too much. You know, it's like I don't need a pound of cheese each week to eat. I just want like a tiny little <laughs> like mouse sized amount, right. like every yeah. every now and then, and a few extra. Anyways, <laughs> like I think that getting things through the mail or through Amazon or whatever, getting things delivered to you has become much more widely accepted now. I mean, think of the things that you order now that in the late 90s, nobody would have ordered through the That's mail a good point. or whatever. I don't know. No, I'm with you. We've done a bunch of episodes recently on how important, especially in B2B and ABM, how much delivering things and direct mail was like a viable channel again for a lot of those reasons. Yeah. And But yeah, I bring back cheese marketing. Yeah, <laughs> we did. We did one one campaign where we actually sent superhero capes to folks when people were in offices, and they loved them. Oh. Personalized bobbleheads that looked like yeah. them. So this was purely ABM. We couldn't do this on a large scale, but found a great partner that would take photos and create bobbleheads of people that looked like them. 
dressed as a superhero. And so we'd send them a bobblehead of themselves. They were the IT superhero and a cape. And we got such a huge response from that. It was incredible. Okay, let's get to our final segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions sure. and quick answers. Just like how quickly you can talk to somebody on your website if you're using Qualified. Go to Qualified.com to learn more. It's quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to Qualified.com to learn more. We love Qualified. They're the absolute best quick hits. Anna, are you ready? I am as ready as I will ever be. Number one, <laughs> what is a hidden talent yes. or skill that's not on your resume? Oh my goodness. I play the piano poorly. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, TV show that you've been recently checking out? Oh my gosh. Everything by Malcolm Gladwell. I listen to revisionist history religiously. I love Adam Grant's books and I read everything that Stephen King has ever written. <laughs> Do you have a non-marketing hobby that maybe sort of indirectly makes you a better marketer? Yes, I do. And it's very weird. So my family for many years has volunteered for a local charity, Williamson County Brown Santa. It's the sheriff's department. And every year at Halloween, we turn the historic jail into a haunted house and we scare the bejesus out of people over the month of October. That's pretty, that is great. Well, <laughs> marketing lessons from the Frightland. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? Mm, probably decorating haunted houses and scaring people for a living. I don't know. Ever since I was little, I've liked to take mundane situations and make them as fun and funny as possible. So one of the odd jobs I had when I was in college, I worked at Comedy Sports. It was a little improv club that's over here. Well, it's gone. Now it's gone by the wayside years ago. But it's kind of like, whose line is it anyway? You just get up on stage and the audience yells things at you and you do them. So probably something like that. Something very spontaneous and creative would be really fun. Wouldn't make me any money, but that's all right. <laughs> What's your best advice for a first-time CMO trying to figure out their demand strategy? take risks. Don't be afraid to do big things and have big ideas, no matter how big your company is. Take risks. Don't wait till you have all the information or you will get analysis paralysis and you will not succeed. Jump in, do things, take action and be brave. Anna, this has been wonderful having you on the show. Thanks so much, everyone. You can go to newrocket.com to learn more if you're a service now customer, you should definitely be checking out New Rocket. And any final thoughts, anything to plug? Oh, thank you so much. Yes, please hit me up on LinkedIn if you want to talk about anything marketing or anything having to do with growing up as a preacher's kid in a <laughs> tiny town in Kansas. Happy to talk about all those things. But it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Ian. Awesome. Take care. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.